DCF. How are you guys doing this morning? Is everybody all right? Don't you love those awkward pauses in public? I, I kind of relish in them. They're so much fun. Um, moving on. <laughs> Today we're going to be finishing a series we started on Easter called Love Reigns. Um, something that's been really um, been in my heart for a long, long, long time, just really understanding the difference between religion and relationship has been such a huge thing in my life. Um, I thought growing up um, that God was all about religion, and it turns out that he doesn't like religion very much at all. And uh, part of the reason we know that is um, because of the way Jesus acted towards religion, towards what people, what, what people would put the requirements on you that God would never put on you. So it's okay to, to challenge you with the things that God said, but too often religion challenges you way more than what God would ever challenge you with. So we've been talking about this series, uh, Love Reigns, and we started out with this concept that because of Jesus' resurrection, he is the king over everything, he has authority over everything, and, that, and that's something that was proven by his resurrection. We talked the second week about how God's love reigns over our past and how you're not who, you're not what you did. That's a huge, huge, important truth, uh, speaking into your identity. And then last week we discovered that God, God's love gives us permission for our present, and we can make choices that create healthy patterns in our life. We can escape and be transformed from the old way of thinking into a new way of thinking. And so again, today we're going to be talking about allowing the love of God to reign over our future. What does that look like? So I don't know if you guys remember when, uh, when I was a kid, I had this thing called the Magic 8-Ball. Anybody remember having a Magic 8-Ball? <laughs> and I would ask it questions like, you know, does Karen love me? And it would say things like, uh, better not tell you now, you know, things like, <laughs> um, am I going to pass this? test and it would pop up, don't count on it. I mean, there's lots of different phrases, so it was, it was, it was a little bit dangerous. But this actually came out, um, this thing came out in 1950. I didn't realize that. It was a really, it's a really, really old toy. And it just kind of shows us uh, people's fascination with the future, you know, uh, what's going to happen as we kind of move forward. And so I think there's a, there's a sense that we have oftentimes about what the future holds. And if we're fearful, it, 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 there's a bit of dread, if we're honest, about what's coming next. If we haven't prepared or we don't think we're prepared for our future or just, you know, the things that are happening in the world, it creates this sense of um, something bad is going to happen. But also there's a, there's a sense sometimes of just this expectation. Like I know there's a couple of people who are uh, selling their house right now and buying another house, and there's a beautiful expectation as that, you know, that kind of transaction occurs and then you go into this new thing not knowing exactly what it's going to be but excited about the future. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but as I kind of get going with this message, I'm going to ask Tim. Tim's going to hand out a piece of paper um, with a pen. If you, need, if you need a pen, just ask him. He's got them with him there. But what I want you to do when you get this piece of paper is just a simple little thing. Um, I want you to take on the front side of it, and I want you to write down a worry that you have. Um, here's kind of the way that works. In, in our future, so often, we have these things that cause this tension that rises in, into us in the present for something that has not actually occurred yet. And so that's, that's what the Bible calls worry. And it's really interesting. Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> don't worry. I remember reading um, the old, uh, the King James Version, it was fret not. Remember the passage in, in, the, uh, in the Psalms, fret not. And, and that's that whole concept, even from all the way past in the, in the Old Covenant, about just don't worry. And the point behind it is that there is, there's someone who's going to take care of you. There's someone who is already in your future because God's not held captive by time the way we are, so God is already in your future, and that's something that, that if you can hold on to that, it makes you think about the future differently, but what I want you to do is just take, as you, as you get this piece of paper, just take and write one worry, something that maybe comes up more often than not, um, it could have something to do with finances, it could be relationship connected, 
Uh, it could be, you know, fearful of where we are in our country right now with politics and all the things that are going on. Whatever that might be, just take that piece of paper and just write that worry, just one. Write that worry down on that piece of paper. And then if you will, just hold on to it. Just kind of put it off to the side and hold on to it till we get to the end of the message. But worry is an all-consuming use of our time, our energy, our attention on things we can't control. And that's, I think, is the biggest picture of why God speaks to it and says, hey, don't, don't think about the future in this way. Don't worry about it. Don't try to think, how am I going to manipulate this? It, there's nothing wrong with planning, but there's a whole different concept behind worry. But we worry about our finances. We worry about our family. We worry about jobs. We worry about our health, getting sick. That was a great testimony from Pat this morning about trusting the Lord. So you can choose to do one of two things when you're waiting on a test on Wednesday, right, Pat? You can worry about it, which can do nothing that can change it whatsoever, or you can trust in God. You can put your faith in God that he's good and he's going to look after you. He's going to take care of you. So the problem is that our worrying doesn't improve our situation at all. As a matter of fact, it actually makes it worse, and we kind of know this. So the only true way to cure the sickness of worry is to trust in the love of God and let the love of God rule in your life. That's what we've been talking about. So I want to read a passage in Matthew chapter 6. This is Matthew 6, 25 through 27. It says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So let me just stop for a second. When Jesus says, don't do something, right? So how do you, how do you connect the, you know, the old covenant says, thou shalt not, and it's full of the laws. And all the laws, the law in the, in the Old Covenant was designed to show you one particular thing. It was, it was designed to show the, the glory of God. What is the requirement of a holy and a pure and a righteous God? And the requirement is perfection, right? But what was, it, what was the law designed to do for you? The law was designed for you to show you you cannot fulfill the law, <laughs> right? So the Bible says it this way in the New Testament. It says that Jesus was he's the or the, the law was a schoolmaster that would lead us to Christ. In other words, it, it would show us that we could not save ourselves, we could not rescue ourselves, we could not look after ourselves the way he could. And so the law was a schoolmaster. But je then Jesus comes along and he gives these commands. And if we're not careful, we treat the commands of Jesus the same way that we treat the law. And you can't do that. So the law was saying, hey, this is what you ought to do. And if you don't do it, there's a sacrifice that had to be made in, in the um, nation of Israel. So if you didn't fulfill whatever the law was requiring of you, a sacrifice was, was made. And the sacrifice was an innocent animal, right? And it was, it was innocent blood that paid for your sin, paid for your brokenness, paid for your inability to hold to the, to the standard that was required of you which was the foretaste of what Jesus was going to come and be the perfect sacrifice for that. So we understand that for the most part. If you've been around DCF, you know that that's true. And so, but the challenge Jesus gives us, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. So he says, don't worry. So if Jesus tells you not to worry, here's the first thing you need to know about it. You can actually do it. <laughs> right? Because he's not going to ask you, he's not going to ask of you something that you don't have the ability to do in him. And that's, that's what's so important. We've talked about this in different ways over the years, about what it means to be in Christ. You're outside of Christ or you're in Christ. And what does that mean? And being in Christ means that everything that you need, everything that you have need of now has been made available to you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So if Jesus tells you not to worry, you can actually not worry. So don't make excuses. I'm just, you know... I'm just concerned. Okay, are you actually concerned or are you worrying? 
<laughs> because those are two different things. Go, if, if you're not sure, go look them up in the dictionary and decide whether you're lying to everybody and yourself about whether you're worrying or not, right? So if you have a tendency to worry, if that's been a pattern in your life, we talked a little bit about that last week, how that Jesus comes in because the power of God, because of his mercy, because of what he's already done, he gives us the ability, he gives us the power to have our lives transformed. And it happens because we renew our mind. We think differently. And so it's really important. He goes on, he says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he gives this illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. Right? So that's that whole concept of we have to be, as human beings, we have to be productive, right? You have to sow, you have to reap. But he says that the, that the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Isn't that amazing? So there's this beautiful story. Um, he was, this was a missionary. Um, he was in, uh, his name was John G. Lake, and he went to South Africa. He felt like God called him to go to South Africa. So this is way before, you know, uh, it was easy to travel. And so he had to go on a ship. And so he goes with everything that he has in terms of money. And, he, and he, he's, he doesn't feel like he's ready, but he feels like the Lord told him to go. And he takes his whole family, and he goes to South Africa, and he gets off the boat in South Africa, and he's going through customs, and he does not have enough money to get in the country. So that's poor planning, or that's what I would say, right? Well, you should have planned better, right? But he was being obedient to what the Lord told him to do in terms of the timing. He could have stayed home and raised more money and waited and come to South Africa when he did, but he clearly heard the Lord say to him, I want you to go, and I want you to go now. So he didn't worry all the way across the trip, you know, it took days, even weeks to get across the ocean. He didn't worry. He gets to South Africa. He's still not worrying. He's standing in line about to go to, to the customs desk, and he has to pay the fee, the entry fee to get into the country, and he has no money. So there, if, if nothing happens, if God doesn't come through, he's going to come to that place, and they're going to put him back on the boat and send him back home. So he's literally standing there, and he's next in line. He's still not worrying. He goes, Lord, even if I get to the desk, I don't know. You're going to do something. You're the one who told me to do this. As he's standing in line and he's next in line to go to the desk, a man walks up to him and says, um, are you the missionary who's come to South Africa to preach Jesus to us? And he said, I am. And they said, well, we have something for you. <laughs> and they give him enough money to get into the country. So he goes and he pays. His family comes out. They meet him at the dock. They, have, you know, they don't have a whole lot, but they bring everything they have there, have no place to stay. They have nothing. Now, they've been, they paid. God's shown himself faithful. They come through the door. Um, they're standing there, you know, the door of the country. They're standing there, got no place to live. A lady walks up, and she says, are you the missionary that God sent to preach Jesus to Africa? And he said, I am. <laughs> she said, I have a home for you. And so they pick him up, whole family, take him to this well, um, I mean, well-established home, beautiful home, beautiful neighborhood. And, and the lady told her, I've been praying. The Lord told me to make this home. This is not my my, you know, this is a second home. But the Lord told me to give you this home for as long as you need it. And that became his base camp for the whole time he was in Africa, preaching the gospel. So here's the thing. He could have, you know, God had all of this laid out and provided for ahead of time. So he had an option, getting on the boat, knowing he didn't have enough money, but knowing he heard the Lord, right? That's why it's so important to be in Christ, to know what the Lord is talking to you about. Don't pre be presumptuous. That's not helpful. But when you know the Lord has spoken truth, whether it's through Scripture or whether it, it's supported by Scripture and a now word that God's given you. You can trust the Lord and you don't have to worry. As a matter of fact, it's actually negative because imagine what would be happening in his mind 
if he's, if he's trying to trust the Lord, but all he can muster up is worry, how ready would he be, do you think, to receive what the Lord has? Would he have, lit, would have even gotten off the boat to stand in line, right, without that sense of the Lord's going to take care of me, so he had to put worry away. So it's important to understand that worry, um, worry is something that you can say no to. This scripture goes on. It says why you can trust the Lord, the Lord around this. It says, are you not much more valuable than they? So he said, the Lord's saying, if I take care of the birds of the air, and I do that, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't put anything in storage, right? They're just, they wake up every morning, and their expectation is that you're going to take care of them. And he does. He provides for them. They still have to go out, you know, the old saying, the early bird gets the worm, right? You can't sleep in until 10 and expect to get a worm. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's truth in there as well. But the whole point is, is Jesus saying, if they, if you are so much more valuable than them, don't you think I'll take care of you? He, and he points it, he goes, look at them, watch, see what I'm doing in their lives, right? How much more will I do it in yours? So even though this passage of scripture was written nearly 2,000 years ago, it's as applicable today as it was then. And it also shows that the fallen nature that we have, the fallen nature that we have is to sense anxiety and let it settle on us. So there's a difference. You can feel anxiety, anxiety can come, but you have to make a decision what you're going to do with it. We, we put it like this, you know, if the devil knocks on your door and he's got a package for you, whatever that might be, whether it's sickness, whether it's anxiety, fear, or a hundred other things, lack, all those things, and he puts, he knocks on your door and he says, hey, I have this for you, you need to sign for it, right? You ever done this? Somebody tries to bring you something to the door, they knock on your door and they say, hey, this is for you, and you're like, I didn't order that. Well, you need to sign for it. And they get really, really kind of in your face, right? They're like, they don't want to take it back and put it, because they have to account for it if they take it back. But you have to make a decision that anything the enemy comes and brings and he, and he brings to your doorstep, he's going to hand you a clipboard and you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with it. Are you going to sign for it and, and then receive it into yourself or you're just going to say, you know what, like Val was saying earlier, I'm, I'm declaring something. I'm saying, no thank you. I know this is what you're offering. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm even feeling some of the effects of it. The enemy's not, he's not afraid to pour everything he has on you. But the Bible says that there's a place that you can take a stand, right, you can have faith in God, right? Believe in Him. And when you do that, you'll see the glory of the Lord come into your life. So it's important to put away the things that you don't, I mean, don't receive what the enemy brings to you. And here's why this is so important. Because you don't have to worry because God sees you. And this is what He says. He said, you can see, I'm showing you the, the birds of the air. How much more do I love you? So he's saying, I, I want you to know, I see what you're going through. I know you have need of the, these things, it says in the earlier part of that scripture. So Jesus tells us, don't worry about our daily needs, our daily wants. And the reason he gives is that we have value in his eyes. So it's important to understand that. So if God takes care of the sparrows of the world, surely he can take care of you. If we're loved by God, if he really loves us, he will provide for us. Now let me say this and just kind of interject something here. Too often, and we talked about this on, on Easter Sunday, that we have an expectation of how Jesus is going to do what he does. We have an expectation of how Jesus was going to rescue humanity. And because of that, most people in his day, the Bible says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. People missed what God was doing because they had an expectation that God was going to do it one way and he did it another way. So I want to challenge you as, as you lean into this, as you lean into your future, I have all kinds of ideas about what I think the Lord is going to do. Uh, a, week, you know, a year ago as a church, we're on the precipice of, you know, 
hiring more staff and things exploding. Man, this is going to be so amazing. And then COVID hits, right, out of nowhere. I mean, like, you know, you know God was like he, he was putting his contact lens in when that was happening. So that's how the devil snuck COVID. It's like, is that how we think about that, right? It's, like, it's not like God had, had no idea COVID was coming, right? So here's the thing I, I want to remind you, that my expectation of how I, I thought this was going to work is different. And God does it differently because God can see the whole picture where I can only see a part. And so I just want to encourage you, you can think about the future, you can worry about the future, and Jesus tells you don't do that, but you can create expectations about how God's going to do something, and it can, it can lead to the same kind of anxiety when he doesn't do it the way you think he's going to do it. So there's a line in the Lord's Prayer, we know this, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that interesting? Daily bread. And obviously it's pointing back to manna. Manna was provided for one day. Anybody remember what happened if you gathered more manna than you should? It went bad, didn't it, right? And so part of what God's trying to teach us is, and here's why this is so important, if we can manage our future without God, why would we need God? Right? And so God, part of what God's trying to do is he's trying to create opportunity for relationship with you and I. Imagine the closeness that John G. Lake had on that trip over to Africa saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but, but there's going to be testimony of how you're going to come through because I didn't, I didn't come up with this. This was not my idea. This was yours. And so the Bible says that he is our provider, right? So if, if I come up with something he needs to provide for, then, th- then I'm trying to put my responsibilities on him, right? And what the Bible says is, is he will lead us in the way. He will show us which way to go. There will be a voice that speaks from behind saying turn left or turn right. The whole idea is if God is giving the direction, if God is giving the vision for your life, then he's responsible for the provision for that vision. But if you provide the vision for your life, then you're responsible for that. And so that works fairly well until something like COVID hits and destroys your business, right? Or in the 30s, the, the stock market crashes in America, right? I mean, whatever. there's always something that if we're not careful, our mindset can be, I'm going to provide. And there's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong with being wise. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is providing for yourself in a way that you have no need of God. It always ends badly. So anxiety is something, again, that, that if I remind myself that God sees me in this moment, because this is what we say. Um, the children of Israel said it this way. They said, Lord, did you bring us out into the wilderness to kill us? So think about that statement for a second. And we do this, right? This is why the, the, that was get written to us, the Bible has said, as an example. Because we do the same thing. Well, if, if we were John G. Lake, we would be on the boat going, Lord, you brought me out into the middle ocean to drown me. <laughs> right? That's worry. That's anxiety. That's not trusting. And the whole thing is, is if we trust that the Lord is good, we're like, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to all work out, but I know you're good, so I can submit to your plan, I can submit to your vision, and I can trust you. And when I do that, the anxiety goes away. Can I just tell you, there's nothing like trusting in the Lord and knowing he's going to come through. And, he, and this, this starts with a pattern of God in your life. As you begin to trust him and he comes through, you begin to trust him more and more and more and more. Let me just say this about giving. Um, we're so thankful. DCF is a, is a wonderfully generous church. We love that about you guys. Karen and I have been giving, giving literally since the night we got saved. And God taught us the way, I've shared this story before about how we gave. We were in Germany when this happened. We gave um, uh, American money and German money because we felt the Lord challenging us 
to give our money into the kingdom. And, and it was a reminder that as we did that, he was going to take care of us, right? And so I'm, I'm being honest. I didn't, I didn't really trust him. What I thought was, you know, I'm going to be able to get back home because I'm giving all my money back. We've got a couple of days. I might have to fast for two or three days <laughs> as I go home. You know, maybe somebody will be nice and buy me something to eat on the way. But I knew, like, worst case scenario, I'm not going to die, right? I can make it two or three days to get home. And what was amazing is that the, the guy who led us in, in the prayer of salvation actually came up to us and said, we were praying for you, and the Lord told us to give you this. And he put something in my pocket, and when I, when I picked it out and looked at it, it was exactly double the amount of money we had given, both in, in American dollars and in German marks. And it was a mark on our life that was reminding us constantly, you can trust me. As long as we're moving in his kingdom and we're, we're following after him, God was reminding us over and over again, I will be your provider. And so once that was established in our life, we have been giving on a regular basis for 30-something years. I figured it up. I think I've given pretty close to, you know, half a million dollars maybe over my lifetime and, and want to keep giving. And so, like, I... I grew up poor, <laughs> and when you grow up poor, you don't want to let go of anything. You want to, you know, when you eat dinner, you, I'm like, I want to guard it from Karen because I want all this chicken, right? I don't want her to have any of my chicken, <laughs> right? Because that's the way you grow up. You grow up and you hoard, and so you're not generous. You're not open, and, and you're full of anxiety because you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, and part of what the Lord's doing is he wants to challenge you to let go of the anxiety and trust in him with all of your heart. So this is a beautiful scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of us have heard this and know it. It's a scripture to the people of Israel, but the truth of it and the context of it actually applies to us. And so this is what it says. This is God speaking to the children of Israel, but also his, his heart for you and I. He says, I know the plans I have for you. So first of all, God has plans for you, right? But so do you. And here's the thing I learned. When you come to Christ, you have to, I think Val said it this morning, you have to be all in. You really do. You can't say, Jesus, I'm, you know, I'm going to partner with you and bring you alongside me. I'm going to add Jesus to my life. And this is what people think when they become Christians. They think, oh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to add Jesus. You know, I'm, I've got a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear. You know, I'm going to give me to punch the, my ticket for eternity. I'm a little bit safe here. I'm good to go, right? And Jesus says, basically, if you're going to come to me, you have to come with all of you. You have to bring it all. You have to lay it all down, Right? And, and that's the challenge that he brings, and it's really, really risky unless we believe he's good, unless we believe that his plans for our life are better than our plans for our life. Amen? It's a challenging, and it's challenging truth, but God calls us to live into it. So how do you know that there are opportunities in your future that God's, he's trying to lead you into his plan for the future? Because again, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a heart and a passion for your future. We talk about all the time that there is an inheritance that's been made, made available because of what Jesus did on the cross. That God has so much he wants to pour into our life. But we are the ones who limit what God can bring into our lives. Not the devil. The devil can't stop God. But you can. You can stop God. All you have to do is say, I'm going to trust in my own ways. I'm going to do my own thing. I have my own plans. I'm going, to, I'm going to build my own future. And then what happens is you get to the end of your life, 
and you, uh, we used to say it this way, you know, you, you, you put the ladder of success up against the, uh, the wrong building. That's what you discover at the end of your life. It's like I climbed, I, I struggled, I strived, I was anxious all the time, and I get to the top, and what was it all for, right? And so here's a couple of ways you can know. There's three ways that you can know that God's creating opportunities for your future. One is, does this opportunity align with Scripture? Seems like that's pretty simplistic, but too often we miss it. It's like I'm going to go into a business partnership that's just a little bit off. Don't do it. Just don't do it. I had that happen with me. Um, I, it, was a, it was a job I was working in in New Orleans, and the guy was like, hey, we're going to do this. And I'm like, you know, that's a little bit sketchy. It was sales, and it was a little bit sketchy. I'm like, that's kind of bait and switch stuff. I said, I don't think that's a good idea, man. That, that just reeks of Im- immorality. I'm like, I just don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. And the Lord said, I want to release you from this business. I'm going to create something else for you. So I left that business. The guy didn't understand because I'd invested a bunch of my life and a bunch of my money in it. And we went back. We were living in destiny at the time. We go back. And I get reestablished there, start another career there. And in about three or four weeks after I left, as I started this new thing, a hurricane came through and wiped out every single business in the entire area, including that one that was sketchy. And so he was telling me when I left, you don't understand the opportunity that's been made available for this. And I said, I don't care how good the opportunity is, if, if God's not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. And so what we've, what we've seen over the years is every time we've leaned into the things of God, God has always taken care of us, and we've seen other things fall because of it. Secondly, will this opportunity make me more like Jesus? If I take part in this, is it going to make me look more like him? That's a, I think that's a helpful thing to think through. And thirdly, will this opportunity benefit others? So often we want to we build our life around ourselves or even taking care of our own families. And we don't want to serve. We don't want to give. We don't want to lean out. We, we're like, I paid my dues. It's time to take care of mine, take care of mine and my family, right? This is my stuff. I got this. And, and, and I hear you. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that God's blessed you. But God is not, he's not a lake God. He's a river God. So some of you guys are going to tweet that, and you're like, you know, they're in idolatry at DCF, right? But here's what I mean by that. God, in a lake, everything flows into the lake, and it stays there. And what happens is either the sunlight, you know, withdraws the water, and it gets less and less and less until it's no longer there. But if there's no source coming into it, eventually what happens is it begins to just decay. The water gets, you know, organisms in it, and you, could, you can't drink it. It's not pure. But if you've got a river with a source, the head of the river, a source that's coming down, that river is constantly flowing, and it's constantly a source, and it's constantly clean. Why? Because it's, it's flowing. And see, this is the way God wants to work in your life. He wants to flow in your life. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to serve other people. When you do that, what happens is God will take care of you. If you do what God says, if you obey God, God will make sure that you have the ability to continue to be generous, right? To, con- to continue to serve other people, he is going to make sure that that's how it works. So seek God first. And this is a passage in Matthew 6.28. It says, and why do you worry about clothes? It's kind of a connection to the last one we read. See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, see the contrast? These lesser things, and he's talking about your value. How much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. Like you don't believe, this is what we say when we don't do that. We're saying, God, I don't believe you're good. And we were talking about that this morning. There's something beautiful about faith. Abraham 
believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's nothing more important to God than for you to believe that he's telling you the truth. But see, that's what the enemy comes along. He says, did God actually say? He throws this doubt in your mind. And the answer is, yeah, he did. (laughs) And I'm going to trust him. So you need to move on down the road and try to get somebody else assigned for your package. It goes on. It says, so don't worry. Do not worry. Verse 31. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you have need of them. Right? Everything that John G. Lake needed in that illustration earlier, everything he needed, God knew because God's the one who put him on that journey in the first place. See, that's the beautiful thing. If he gives you a vision for something, he's going to offer provision for it. It says, but seek first his kingdom. This is the powerful thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God. This beautiful picture of if we lean into what the Lord has said, lean into what the Lord has given vision for, then everything that we have need of, he's going to bring it to us. Tim, will you bring me this illustration? I want to show you kind of a visual picture of what this looks like before we close. Seek first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and everything you have need of will be offered to you. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> so, so imagine that these, these jars, this is your future. And so we fill our future up with as much as we possibly can. Um, you know, it's like I can't think of everything that's going to happen in the future, but I'm going to do everything I can to plan and do what God wants me to do. And then God says, hey, I want to talk to you about what I want to do in your life. And so what we do is we start putting things of the kingdom in there. A few of them go in. And what begins to happen is, before long, we can't hold them all. And they begin to fall off. And they won't stay. No matter what we do, they won't stay. It just won't fit. What's so beautiful about this is the way God says, if you seek the kingdom first, what that means is you take the kingdom and you let the kingdom, let your future be open to the things of the kingdom. And you just put all these things in here, right? Let God put everything that he wants in, fill you up with everything he's wanting to do. And then when you add life, what begins to happen is it fills all the spaces around it. So everything, everything that you have need of, what happens is it fits. Shaking, pressed down, shaking together, right? (laughs) And it fits. And so now you have a picture of what it looks like when you seek the kingdom of God first. So here's the thing, all of that stuff you still get. I, I live in a nice house. Uh, I love my house. We look for over a year for the house that we're in. It's not perfect. There's, you know, I'd like to add a pool. There's lots of things I'd like to do, right? <laughs> I'd like it to have 10 more rooms that I never go in just so I can boast about how many rooms I have. I'm just kidding. I could care less about that stuff. But I love my house. And, and I remember growing up, I grew up in a, in a trailer park, nothing wrong with trailers, but it was all that we could afford. And I remember thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be rich. I'm going to live in a double-ride trailer. I literally said that. <laughs> one day I'm going to be rich. I'm going to live in a double-ride. Because my, my perspective of what I was going to live in was going to be that. No, no hope for an education. No hope for anything better. My dad was from the Appalachian Mountains. My perspective was what my da- I might have a little more. And what I found is I gave up the direction. I wanted to be an architect, or so I thought. And I've shared this story in my personal journey before, but God made me, what he was trying to do was make me an architect in the spirit. 
that he had a call, he had a vision, he had a purpose for my life, right? That's what these were. And I remember 22 years old, going down to the altar because my pastor said, at some point you're going to have to decide, are you going to live the life that God has for you or are you going to try to live your own? You need to lay your life down and take up his, right? And so I remember thinking when I went down the altar about all that I was going to give up. <laughs> and not only did I get everything that I would have gotten as an architect, you know, going and I, I would have I I gotten stress, debt, fear, <laughs> right? P- probably more responsibility than I wanted at the time. And so I end up, here's the thing, and again, it's not just about the physical things. I have peace, I have hope. I have, a, I have a marriage that lasted 34 years so far, right? And we're still going. But I'm pretty sure if I'd have gone down that road, I would have given myself to every bit of that, and there's a really good chance that, that Karen wouldn't be in my life right now, but my job would. I don't know about you guys, but there's no job better than my wife, right? And so, in, including ministry, by the way. So here's the picture that God gives us. If you, if you let him put his, his heart into your future, you let him put the vision into your future, when you do that, what you do is you actually have, uh, you have established God's best for your life, and then all the other things that you have need of, he says, I'll add them. But he can't do that if you don't trust him. You can't, he can't do that if you won't let love reign in your life. And so as I close, just take that piece of paper, that little worry, um, little piece of paper, and once you get it ready, because I want you to do something with it. The author of Psalm 90 had an interesting concept in, in mind when he wrote verse 12 of Psalm 90, and that was to use your time wisely. This is what it said. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So here's what's interesting. What he was doing was he was saying, Lord, make me aware. He's writing a prayer, really, is what he was doing. And that's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to take what I've said today about God reigning, love reigning in your life, love reigning over your future. And whatever that worry was that you wrote on that on the front side of that piece of paper, I want you to flip it over. And I want you to write a prayer. Now that you understand God's love for you, maybe this is it's just a reminder for some of us, I'm sure. But now that you re- you're reminded of God's love for you, his plan for you, to bless you, to give you a future, his plan to take care of you, Whatever that worry is, I want you to write a prayer to God around that worry based on what you know about his goodness and his kindness and his mercy in your life. So just take a second, just pen a prayer. Lord, I trust you, whatever that worry was. If it's about finances, Lord, I trust you that as I seek your, your life and I seek your vision for my life, you're going you're gonna to add all the things that I need financially into my life. If it's sickness, it's fear of sickness, Lord, as I trust you, as I serve you, as I lean into what you've called me to do, I'm going to trust you that you're, you're not only going to keep me healthy and make me whole, but you're going you're gonna to make me, you're going to create a way for me to pray for other people and see them made whole. So just take a second and write a, write a little prayer on that before we wrap this up. One last thing before I pray for us is this. I was reading the other day, um, I'm interested in all kinds of things, um, science, biology, um, in every way. And I was, I was reading something about the zebra. 
about this guy writes and says, you know, the zebras are camouflaged. And I'm like, dude, have you ever seen a zebra? <laughs> like I've seen, you know, I've never seen one personally outside of the zoo. But like seeing them run around out in the field, you know, it's like if you, if you see a lion, a lion is camouflaged, right? Because a lion is the same color as the grass. That's how he's able to sneak up on things, right? And then this guy writes, you know, zebras are camouflaged. I'm like, I don't think they are, right? And then he, he goes on, he writes, and it's really interesting. He says, so here's what happens. He says, if you look at a herd of zebra, he said, the one thing you'll find is they're never alone. <laughs> they're always together. And he said, and the way a zebra is camouflaged is not against its background, but against its community. It's fascinating when you start thinking about it. He said, here's, because here's what's happened. He says, when a lion hunts, a lion can't catch a herd of zebra. He can only catch one. Right? So they did a study as they were trying to, these biologists, they're trying to study this camouflage on the zebra. And they said they would be writing it, you know, trying to identify the zebra. And they would be writing something down. They'd look at the zebra and write it down. And they'd look back up and they're like, oh, man. (laughs) Which zebra was I looking at, right? (laughs) And it turns out that's exactly what the lion does. So what the scientists did, they said, you know what, We'll, we'll mark it. So they marked the zebras, so they went and they got this little pole with a red thing on, you know, red paint on it, and they would, they would, you know, they'd ride up to it in their Jeep, and they would poke it on the butt with that red stick, and it would put a big red mark on that zebra. And so they would study that zebra for about a day or two, and then it would go missing. Anybody know why it would go missing? Because <laughs> the lion's like, oh, that one with the red mark on it. I'll go chase that one down and eat it, right? <laughs> and so that's what was happening. So they, they figured out we, we should probably stop marking the zebra. We're going to run out of them, right, to study. But here's my point. Um, the way they camouflage themselves is they camouflage themselves amongst themselves. And there's something about as you let love reign in you that you were never designed to do that alone, ever. Right? We used to talk about in the military, if, 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 when they say, you know, we're going to rush over the wall. We, we don't do this too much anymore, but we're going to rush over the wall. You know, we're going to rush the enemy. I'm like, I'm going to stay right in line with everybody else, right? Why? Because the guy who runs out front, ah, it's like, yeah, you, he's all brave, and then he's dead, right? Why? Because he's singled out. And so there's an aspect of this that God never designed for your future. He never designed for you to, to not deal with worry all by yourself. He, he designed for you to be in a community, to let love reign not just in you and your family, but to let r- love reign so much in you that it begins to overflow into other people. And we have a saying around DCF that, you know, if you pick on one of us, you pick on all of us. And so when we find out someone's going through a hard time, what happens is the way God designed community is we come along one another, we come alongside each other, we take care of each other, for one, we pray for one another, we, we help one another practically. And so God doesn't just use random things to take care of people. He uses people to take care of people. It says, you let love reign in you. You can't let love reign in you alone. Jesus never meant for you to do any of this alone. So I just want to speak to that. The enemy is going to have a hard time trying to get a hold of us. One, um, we too often think of ourselves as a zebra, and Jesus is trying to get, ourselves, get us to think of ourselves as the lion. So that's a sermon for another day. (laughs) But here's the thing. If you let love reign in you, you never have to worry about your future because God's going to take care of you. So I'm going to share one story, and I'm going to pray. Karen and I don't have any kids. We've got the most 
amazing nephews on the planet. They're incredible little boys. We love them to death. And, and my brother's much younger than me and had kids late in life, so almost like grandkids a little bit. But we love them to death. They're awesome. Um, and we were talking a little bit about some things about as we grow older, how much fun it is to do certain things. And Ken and I were talking about, you know, kind of came up that we don't have anybody to take care of us when we get old. Because she, you know, I got sick and she took care of me. And if she gets sick, I'll take care of her. But what happens is if one of us goes before the other, um, then what? And so it's just a thought that popped up, and it wasn't even really anything important. It was a thought that popped up. And just a couple of days later, she's talking to her, um, her niece, who's um, in her early 30s now. And she said, Aunt Karen, I just want to tell you, um, when you get old, I'm going to take care of you. I'm like, what about me? <laughs> I was hoping she meant both of us. I, we'll see. <laughs> but, but here's my thing. That, you know, that had crossed my mind before because I don't have, you know, uh, biological kids of my own. But I know this, that I'm not in this alone, right? And it's not just that God's going to take care of me. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know because of who God is and how he works among us that he's probably going to use the kingdom, use people in the kingdom to help take care of me, take, help take care of Karen. If we're sick, if we can't do it, whatever, God's going to take care of us. So I just want to pray for you this morning and just remind you that it's a choice you have to make about letting the love of God reign over your future. You have to make the choice. Jesus said, don't worry. The only way you're going to do that is to recognize your value in his eyes, the fact that he sees you, that he loves you, he wants to provide for you, and then you're going to have to submit to his vision for your life and let go of yours. It's just a simple thing. You've got a bag in this hand, and you, you know, or you've got your hands on both, both hands on this bag. You've got to let go of this one and let go of, and grab hold of the one that God has for you choice you have to make and nobody can make it for you but I want to challenge you to do it if you do it's going to be beautiful that's been my experience let me pray for you so Jesus thank you so much for your kindness in our lives Lord thank you that um, you see us Lord not only do you see us you loved us um, Lord long before we ever even trying to do right or or be good or help other people or any of those things Lord you loved us in the worst possible scenario the worst possible position you still loved us while we were still sinners, your word says, you died for us. Christ died for us. And so, Jesus, we just say thank you. And we give you our lives. We submit our plans. We submit our future to you. And we trust you that you're going to take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us. If you would like to have prayer this morning, our ministry team is going to be up front. If you're in-house, if you're watching online and there's something that about this message that you identified with, we'd love to pray for you. If it was something about the testimony this morning, we'd love to pray for you for breakthrough. Um, I'm going to just ask our ministry team, they can come up. And um, we hope you guys have a good week. If you're watching online, we hope you have a good week wherever you are, wherever you're living. I love that we can be together even um, while all of this is going on. We can worship together. We can be in community together. And um, we would love to pray for you as well. You can contact us at DothanCF.com and just for prayer. And um, we just um, are very thankful for everyone who's here today and if you're watching online as well. Thanks for being a part of this community, being a part of this um, togetherness. And we hope you guys have a great week.